This is a topic that really fascinates me because I'm a big fan of doing your research. Obviously, I'm a journalist, uh, so I research all the time. Every single guest that comes on the show, I look into it. I research it. It doesn't make me an expert. That's why we have experts on to talk about things who really know their stuff so, You know, when it comes to either the economy or medicine or so on. We bring people on who, who've devoted their lives to these subjects, and I certainly haven't. Uh, I, I skip over many things. But one of the big terms we hear a lot about these days is D. Y-O-R, or do your own research. Uh, at its root, again, I think it's a good thing. Perhaps, uh, you know, researching stuff is is great. We should find out. We should always be skeptical. We should always uh, make sure we're not following the pack just because people say something is so. Uh, but as a recent article puts it, in the context of a broad collapse of trust in institutions and the experts who speak for them, DYOR has come to mean something more specific, a common refrain in battles about COVID-19 and vaccines, politics, conspiracy theories, parenting, drugs, food, stock trading, and media. And it says it signals not just a rejection of authority, but often trust in another kind of information. Um, another New York Times article suggested that uh, people who are new to subject areas are vulnerable to hubris, experts say. They can quickly become unreasonably confident after just a small amount of exposure to a subject, a phenomenon known as beginner's bubble. In other words, you spend a few nights on the internet looking into something, you have no background, no one challenging you about it, you find a bunch of people who say exactly the same thing online, confirmation bias, and there you go, instant expert. Now you're arguing with people who have been doing this their entire careers. Um, I wanted to know more about it. So who does a journalist go find to find out more about something? An expert. One, someone who's spent many, many years studying this. Melissa Carrion is an assistant professor of writing and rhetoric. There is such a thing at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. She has done extensive research on do your own research. And she joins us now. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Usually when we talk about do your own research, it sounds like something that should have only positive connotations informing oneself, um, because it sounds like a good thing. But in some cases, it's, it's become a bit weaponized. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I think, like you said, you know, the idea of doing research, right, being informed, being a, a critical consumer of information, that's certainly not new. Um, and on its, on its face, it makes a lot of sense. It's a good thing. Um, but this sort of DYOR movement, this do your own research, it's a little bit different. Um, and I think there's something in the, the possessive pronoun there that's kind of indicative of something um, a little more dangerous. And, and that is that the advice isn't do research, right, or that we should do our research. Um, you know, it's not a collective endeavor. It's sort of personal and it's individual. Um, and it means that within that model, the results of research are also personal and individual. Like in this model, we don't all need to agree in the end, right? And, and in the context of science, at least, um, that's something that's really problematic. Yeah, because because consensus is is what makes uh, science scientists building on on each other's work and learning from each other's mistakes is sort of how it how it we arrive at conclusions. And in this case, it's very much come to your own conclusions. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They're they're just fine with dissensus, right? And that is not how science works in in its ideal form. So, what did you look into specifically uh, when you were looking into do your own research? 
Right. So, so my research initially, I, I was interested in how and why mothers came to refuse vaccines for their children, for their young children, right? So here in the U.S., kids get a lot of vaccines in those first two years of life. Um, and as a health communication researcher, I was hoping that, you know, better understanding that could help us to guide the design of, you know, more effective messages and health campaigns and things like that. Um, but as a rhetorician, I was also really interested in the specific language that mothers used in talking about that choice and the kinds of arguments that they drew from, right, as they justified their decision. Um, And so one of the the questions that I asked them was, if you were to give advice to another mother who was herself, you know, struggling with this decision, whether or not to vaccinate, what advice would you give? Um, And across the board, every participant gave some variation of she needs to do her own research, or I would tell her you need to do your own research. Again, like always the possessive pronoun. Um, But then it was interesting because many then also went on to say, you know, as long as she does her own research, whatever she decides is right. Um, You know, so there was one mom who used the analogy of, you know, if I feed my kid a Pop-Tart for breakfast and you give your kid oatmeal, you know, neither of us is right or wrong. They're just different choices. Um, And certainly, you know, the the rhetoric of individual choice has a lot of resonance, right, especially in the U.S. Um, But the thing is, you know, from a health perspective, oatmeal is better than (laughs) Pop-Tarts. And from a public health perspective, vaccines are the right thing, right? Not just for individuals, but but for the community. But again, for, for the mothers who I interviewed, the individual process of doing the research was somehow more important than what that process yielded, right? So again, it wasn't about reaching consensus, which like we said, is ostensibly what science is about, right? They were just fine with dissensus, right? They were just fine with whatever it was that they found individually. Were the contradictions ever pointed out to them, this idea? I guess you weren't there to correct, you were there to discover. But uh, when you pointed out this idea of do your own research, as opposed to sort of, you know, do the research and see see what's out there, um, did, did they ever come face to face with the contradictions in that? You know, again, to your point, I was I was trying to be a good listener in this research um, and respect their voices and opinions. I should say I'm very much an advocate of vaccines, 100 percent. But again, you know, I try to be empathetic uh, to the folks that I'm interviewing. Um, But honestly, this was something that didn't even occur to me until I was in the process of analysis and coding and going back and sort of knowing like I'd heard research over and over again. But it was really in going through the transcripts that I realized, my gosh, there's this possessive pronoun is always there. And then putting that together with other things that sort of started to construct the idea of of a broader kind of worldview that was being represented there. What is that? What is that worldview? Because one gets the sense that there is this now this distrust of expertise. So, for instance, uh, you know, you you Google something and you see someone has spent their entire career studying the effectiveness of a certain vaccine, regardless of which one. Somehow, they're now distrusted over your ability to find out what you want to find out. And there's confirmation bias in there too, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. Another thing that that struck me about the way that that mothers talked um, was that their rhetoric, just in general, they, again, sort of the language and the arguments they used, they were really reminiscent of the kinds of arguments and language used in, for instance, like the women's or the feminist health movements um, and a lot of critical health movements, right? So that is at like a broader level, 
you know, they were worried about science being influenced by politics or economic interests, or, you know, they were acknowledging that there are biases in, in medical coverage. Um, you know, many of them shared their own anecdotes of feeling like their health problems had been ignored um, or minimized, right? Or, you know, they suggested that there was a value to embodied knowledge as its own kind of expertise. And those are all really legitimate arguments, right? They're arguments that when they're employed in good faith, help us to grapple with really important questions. Um, but they're also really full of nuance, right? So yeah. they ask us to kind of acknowledge that, you know, what we accept as scientific fact is at least in part, you know, socially constructed. It is, it's a product of consensus. Um, but just because we don't, or maybe even can't know the, the quote unquote right answer, doesn't mean that one doesn't exist. And that seems to be the nuance that's, that, that's lost sort of in this current moment, right? So it seems to me like these arguments have to some extent in some communities kind of been co-opted, right? Especially in political discourse, where now, you know, they're used, like you said, to sort of construct this kind of like relativism, where now somehow, you know, Joe Rogan is equal in credibility to Anthony Fauci, you know, because Rogan has, you know, quote unquote, done his homework, right? Um, and, and that's the problem, right? There's this disconnect. I'm certainly the points to be suspicious of the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, there are many examples in the past that warrant uh, a good examination when these things come up, obviously. I guess right. what's more puzzling is just this kind of how universal it is, where it's not case specific. It's not, well, look at thalidomide, or it's, it's more like, this is all bad. Right. Uh, and I guess, where does this distrust of expertise come from, do you think? You know, I mean, again, I think to some extent it comes from from legitimate history of looking back and saying, you know, mistakes have been made there. The, again, a lot of the these kinds of arguments that came out of these critical health movements are really legitimate and important moves. Um, but it's more the way that they are being, um, you know, again, like I said, sort of taken up and co-opted um, in, in less authentic ways. I'm speaking with Melissa Carrion. She's an assistant professor of writing and rhetoric at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. She's done extensive research on do your own research. And that's what we're talking about now, just the whole rhetoric and movement around the idea of do your own research, the possessiveness of it, the lack of scientific method in it, even though to doubt is okay. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a bit more just about what impact that's having more broadly beyond uh, Melissa's initial study of just mums um, and where it might go from here, because clearly the point is to try to regain that trust, but that's not easy. We'll tackle that after this. I'm speaking with Melissa Carrion. She's an assistant professor of writing and rhetoric at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Uh, we're talking about do your own research, D-Y-O-R, not just a suggestion, but more of a movement now when it comes certainly to uh, medical issues, Bitcoin, we've seen it uh, around cryptocurrencies and so forth. It's sort of this idea that somehow you on your own can go seek this truth that uh, that the experts will not know or are hiding from you at the very least. Uh, Melissa, you were saying earlier that one of the reasons you got into this was to try to figure out, uh, just in terms of messaging, how to regain the lost trust. Uh, what kind of obstacles uh, did you run up against and, and how difficult are they to break down once people hold certain views, it seems to be difficult to move them off them. Absolutely. I think, you know, obviously this, this DYOR, right, as you said, it's sort of become kind of like a rallying cry in particular communities in different ways. So again, in, in the anti-vax community, like you said, in, in sort of the cryptocurrency movement, probably a lot of other spaces. 
Um, but I think it's also a lot more common than we acknowledge, right? So we're all, you know, subject to confirmation bias. We have an idea or a belief, and then, you know, we seek out research that supports what we already think. Um, certainly in the context of COVID and the, you know, the politicization of policies to address it. I think we see that a lot. Um, but it's also there in a lot of other smaller forms. Um, and again, of course, I tend to think about these things in the context of health and medicine. Uh, but I think, you know, a lot of us have people in our lives, uh, maybe ourselves, right, who advocate for things that are not entirely evidence-based, right? So I'm thinking about, you know, essential oils or supplements or, you know, even eating all organic food or avoiding GMOs. Um, you know, and, and in those cases, people will say, well, I've done my research um, and we don't push back in the same way because someone, you know, choosing to use essential oils isn't impacting anyone else, um, but then that same logic in the context of something like vaccination is a real problem, right? Because there are impacts to the community. Um, but I think, you know, that's one of the things that, that seems especially problematic to me in the sense I see it now in, in lots of different spaces. And I think that when we don't call out that reasoning all the time, it means that when we do call it out, it can seem hypocritical or political or, you know, motivated by, by something insidious in some way. Um, so I forget what your initial question was, yeah, no, but I, I mean, think we, that's, we, that's think one we, of the challenges, yeah, right? We've certainly see it, seen it compounded uh, over the course of the pandemic, obviously. Um, right. That has probably lent a lot to this as well. Uh, where do you see this going then now when there sort of seems to be pretty firm and divided camps when it comes to some of this stuff? My, my gosh, Ben, I'm not sure. I don't know that it's going to a good place. You know, I don't, I, I, I'm, I don't know that I can draw like a causal link one way or the other. Um, but it, it seems like it's all sort of part of this same kind of like cultural zeitgeist, right? Like it's not a, a coincidence that DYO, DYOR rhetoric has become more common, um, you know, in the context of our sort of like post-truth alternative facts moment, you know, there are, and there are implications across the board when we stop believing in or listening to experts. Um, and again, this is, you know, this is not to say that, that doing research itself is a bad thing. Of course, again, there's positive scientists aren't infallible, healthy skepticism is a thing, um, but we also have to be willing to accept legitimate evidence when it is presented to us. Um, and, and again, I'm not sure what direction we're moving in with regard to that. I asked you a bit earlier, the, about, really it was about the obstacles to trying to convince someone who is you know, DYOR'd something uh, that maybe they're incorrect. Because I think one of the things that's, I think one of the only difference, the one that bothers me, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with people researching everything. Right. I think everyone should be have healthy skepticism about everything. It's It's fine. It's where those ideas become so entrenched that then they become, the people who've DYOR'd become the very thing that they're fighting against, which is rigid and right. unmoving. Um, I think, so did you see any hope for sort of, how do you convince someone who's taken a position on something that may not be uh, factually based? How do you convince them that maybe they should reconsider? <laughs> I, if I could answer that question, I think I would 
have a lot of success. Yeah, um, yeah you know, I'm not sure. I, I can say again, speaking to the, the particular participants in my study in this specific context, I think that many of them, you know, it was interesting, many of them had had not always been opposed to vaccines and had sort of come to question vaccines as a result of bad communication, again, often with, with healthcare providers or in sort of seeing contradictions between the messages they were given, particularly for moms. There's such a sort of hypervigilance about pregnancy and a sort of better safe than sorry logic that pervades so many of the messages that, that pregnant women in particular are subject to. Um, so in many cases, they sort of started being like, well, wait a second, why is it that, you know, I can't have a hot dog for nine months, but I'm looking at the ingredients on these vaccines and they look bad, but you're telling me not to worry about it in that case. Um, I think in that particular context, we could do a better job as, you know, as health communicators for, for our healthcare providers to sort of talk a little more about the nuance there and, okay, why is, you know, this ingredient in this context okay, whereas we might avoid it in a different context. So I think a lot of times the, the sort of common wisdom in health communication is like, we don't want a lot of hedging. We just want to have like these very clear, simple messages. And sometimes we do need the complexity. But again, the sort of broader movement of DYOR in all of its spaces, um, you know, I think, like we said, in a lot of cases, it comes back to confirmation bias. It's people who are already pretty entrenched in their belief or idea to begin with. Um, and in that case, you know, their their efforts to do research are not always, um, you know, perfectly genuine. I think part of it is to sort of shore up what they already believe. And in that case, it's hard to change minds. I always suggest that people go read something that completely contradicts what they think just to see what else is out there and being said to get an idea of what, what other ideas might look like. Uh, Melissa, carry on. Thank you so much. A fascinating conversation. Thank you for your time tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me.